Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, O oh, my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Welcome in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Here's a straw man that I would like to argue against. Okay, here it goes. Voting is a God-given right. Right. Oftentimes you hear that, right? Voting is a God-given right. You have to exercise your vote, right? And you always hear that, especially during, you know, election cycles. Voting is a God-given right. That isn't true. And as Catholics, I don't think it's something we should ever repeat. What our duty is as Catholics is to promote the common good. And um, the promotion of the common good in society is attached to the fourth commandment of honoring our mother and our father, that our days may be long in the land in which the Lord has given us. And by mother and father, we do not mean just the, the nuclear family, right? Just our, our parents, our family in a narrow sense, right? Or rather, we mean our entire community, right? When we say honor our mother and father, it's a community command, right? So in this way, the fourth commandment belongs to the greatest command, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So how our creative purpose that God has given us um, dominion over the earth and the things of the earth and that command to promote the common good of all men that is loving our neighbor, how that has played out for most of the history of the church was not through representative voting, right? Because for most of the history of the Catholic church, we've dwelled in a world that was ruled by monarchs. <laughs> and, but for the last 300 years or so, many people in many parts of the world have been able to participate in the promotion of the common good by bringing God's justice on the earth by exercising the right that the government has given them to vote. In, in some places, that meant that you had at least one vote, but sometimes more, right? Depending upon if you own land or you're a business owner. Or in other places, it meant that once you were a certain age or a certain gender or a certain race, you had a right to vote. It meant different things in different places at different times. But whatever it meant, the Catholic Church for last 200 years or so, last 200 years or so, has always encouraged that we participate in that system, it necessarily wasn't that, you know, the Catholic Church is, you know, for a portion in history, kind of looks kind of suspicious at this idea of representative governments because it was an export of Europe. Freemasonry was involved in that. And, and so um, it seemed to be a threat on the monarchical system, which gave which, you know, the monarchs needed the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church needed monarchs in a sense of protection. And, and, and a lot of other reasons, there was a close relationship with the monarchs. But uh, at least for the last uh, 200 years, the Catholic Church has always encouraged us, whatever that system was, to participate in a system so that we might exercise a common good. For example, in 1937, at the height of the popular front of the Mexican Communist Party on the heels of the Cristero War, which uh, was started in response to the 1917 Constitution that in Mexico that restricted the influence of the Catholic church, which we saw a lot in 1917 throughout the world with the um, coming to communism. Pope Pius the 11th and his papal encyclical, which the first three words of that encyclical was, it is well known. So that's what a cyclical was called. It is well known. So next encyclical concerned the religious situation in Mexico in which he wrote, he wrote this and I quote, thus the Catholic, thus a Catholic will take care not to pass over his right to vote when the good of the church or the country requires it. 
again, Pope Pius the eleventh, and this is the nineteen seventeen encyclical, says thus a Catholic will take care not to pass over his right to vote when the good of the church or the country requires it. That statement right there, I think it really is a very important place to begin when, when Catholics are asking, why should I vote or how do I vote? Because according to Pius XI, our participation in the common good requires a firm resolve that our vote should be directed towards protecting the church. A point which continues, I think, to be missed in this country, where at least half of Catholics keep voting against the interests of the Catholic Church, right? They keep voting more in line uh, with the interests of communism, which, uh, which is very interesting, right? In, in light of the, what was going on in Mexico in 1917, what we see going on today, right? The church was encouraging people to vote against um, the, the coming of communism. So... As Catholics, we ought to exercise our right to vote in countries that give us that right. But how we should be thinking about how we should be how how should we think about the laws that are being put in place to either water down voting or discourage people from voting or limiting the right for people to vote? What does what what's the cap? What is the Catholic sense of justice? All right, well, how does it come in on those questions? So that's what we're going to be talking about today on the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason here on Guadalupe Radio Network. And on the second half of the show, Mrs. Corey Beckman will be on to talk about a new Catholic community being built in Tyler, Texas, called Veritatis Veritatis Splendor. And she'll tell us um, also about a Catholic family conference that's coming up on May the 1st. So you want to hear about that. And if you'd like to opine, I would like to hear from you. Just call in at 877-757-9424. Again, that is 877-757-9424. Or you can uh, tweet at me at D-O-G on G-R-N. Again, that's hashtag D-L-G on G-R-N. And if you call in, you get to hear from my producer, Sissel, and you get to see Sissel, I think, on Thursdays. Um, she's the producer of the show, but she's also on Friday. She's on Back to the Father. So, yeah. So, man, I tell you what, what's going on in Minnesota? <laughs> well, what's going on in Minnesota right now? You know, I, I, I've never I've never been there. Right. But it, it's one of those states that I, I don't know what to think about at times. Right. Um, I really don't. And uh, for the longest time, I, I think the only thing I knew about Minnesota was a little fella there who liked little red Corvettes, high heels, and had a thing about purple. That's the only thing I knew about Minnesota, but the state is never really short on news. Oh, another thing I knew about Minnesota was a guy named Al Franken, right? Who was a comedian turned democratic politician. He was from there. Uh, remember Al Franken ended up resigning in 2018 for some sort of sexual allegations, uh, misconduct allegations, the same, the same type of allegations that Joe Biden, Governor Cuomo of New York had just flatly denied. Right. And never gave a second thought to right? Al Franken resigned for. So he should have stuck around longer. He would have been able to uh, just deny things and stay in power. Recently in Minnesota, um, it's been on the cat in at least the Catholic news. There's a, a bishop named Michael Hopner there from the Diocese of Crookston, who resigned this week after being requested to step down by Pope Francis after an investigation showed that he had covered up sex abuse allegations against a priest. But I think for the most part, um, I think today when people lately, at least for the last year or so, when we think of Minnesota, we just think of violence. We think of BLM. That's burning, looting, and murdering. Perhaps soon, um, the police officer, uh, Mr. Derek Chauvin, who has been charged with the death of George Floyd, will receive a verdict in this trial. But regardless of how that trial turns out, um, they've gotten a head start on a burning and looting in Minnesota recently in response to Officer Mrs. Kim Potter killing Mr. Dante Wrights at a traffic stop, saying that she mistakenly fired her pistol rather than her taser, which is something like saying that um, I met to make spaghetti, but on accident I made oatmeal. Possible, because water's boiling, right? If you're like me, you put brown sugar in your spaghetti and your oatmeal. So it's possible, not probable, not likely. It's like a man telling his wife he accidentally cheated on her. It takes a lot of other accidents for that to happen, right? A lot of, lot of possibles, but not, it's not very probable. 
So I, I, I don't know how such a mistake happened, but I do encourage all Catholics, especially those on social media who are decrying this senseless death and calling for police disarmament and saying that um, Officer Kim wouldn't have done this if Dante were white, to actually do something that matters, such as offering a mass in Dante's name. Because at this point, that's the best form of justice we can offer him. But without minimizing this man's death, I think we have to keep in mind that, uh, you know, media propaganda here. We never hear about white men being killed by police on a national level or in uh, white men being killed by police at traffic stops or elsewhere. We don't hear about, but it happens far more often, even at double the rate that it happens to blacks and Hispanics. True. It happens disproportionately to black Americans and to Hispanics. Um, a percentage to their represented population in this country. But we must wonder why we never hear about white men being killed in the national media. Why there's never any burning, looting, and murdering when it does happen. The simplest answer is that most likely in these instances, first, uh, I think the, the, the simplest answer is true in these instances. First, I, I think blacks and Hispanics in America, they we, we are the, the victim class of people. We're victims, but not white men. White men are never victims. White men are perpetrators of violence, not victims. So their stories don't get told by the media who have learned that narratives about victims make money. Stirring racial division makes money. And it helps people keep their victim hustling friends in the Democratic Party in power. This year, so far, 50 white Americans have been killed by police, 30 blacks, 20 Hispanics. But we don't say the names of either the whites or the Hispanics, because if we do, it will cut into the $90 million that Black Lives Matter, the organization, is going to raise and will cut into the number of the number of million dollar houses that their founders will be able to buy. As a Catholic, I think what's fascinating is that the way we have been given to look at the world, right? Our, our worldview is something ironic, if you think about it, because we see the world through death. We see the world through the death penalty, in a sense, through the crucifix. We see the world we see that the world prefers death over chaos. It prefers chaos over life. It prefers chaos over peace. Rather than have God, they would rather kill God. That's how the world is. It prefers darkness over light. So when we look at places like Minnesota and how easily it descends into chaos and burning and looting and murdering, we understand that because one of the most important symbols of our faith, the crucifix, informs us of that. That, that. that is precisely what the world desires outside of Christ. It desires, the desires of man's fallen nature is death and chaos. Yet the Catholic also rejoices when we see the world through the death penalty given to Jesus. We rejoice when we look at the world through their instrument of death. Because we realize that our Lord did not stay there on the cross. Rather, he overcame his death penalty. He overcame death on a, on the world's instrument of death. He overcame chaos and self-interest. He overcame deceits and lies and false persecution. Therefore, because he in whom we live overcame chaos, whenever we witness chaos, we have to admit to ourselves that we have failed. We have failed to bring peace to that chaos. Christ does not coexist with chaos in a pure sense. So when there is chaos, that means that the king of peace is not reigning in that place. This is failure that we have to admit. This is failure that I think we have to confess among the things that we have failed to do. That um, I think failure in a sense, I think it allows growth, right? For example, people who want to grow more muscles, right? Uh, to work on those, you, uh, you think you have to work on those muscles to the point of failure. And through that failure, new muscle tissue was able to grow, right? No failure of muscles, no new muscle growth. Minimum failure of muscles means minimum muscle growth. So throughout our church and through our society, we experience massive failure on so many levels, which means that we have the potential for tremendous growth if we respond to those failures by bringing the peace of Christ to them. So that's all I know about that. Uh, we're going to turn to talking about voting rights um, here and about expansion, limitations, and discouragement. If you are just tuning in, this is the David O'Gray Show, Voicing Truth and Reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. If you want to opine um, about voting rights or what's going on in Minnesota, please call in 877-757-9424. Or you can comment on our YouTube and our Facebook videos. Let's see, Jose Bonilla has commented. He's asking about, isn't voting for 
evil men participating with evil. So we should talk about that. Uh, so, but first, I, I, I like to say that liberals throw the best temper tantrums, don't they? Don't they throw the best temper tantrums? They do. And they don't even have to be the people who are harmed to throw the temper tantrum. They, they, I think liberals remind me sometimes of my 12-year-old daughter, Olivia. Sometimes she'll get in trouble, but will throw the best temper tantrum I've ever seen to get out of trouble. And, and sometimes I come really close to apologizing to Olivia for, for her getting in trouble, right? Because <laughs> her temper tantrums are her temper tantrums are that good. They're that effective. But then I catch myself or I remember what happened in the first place. That's exactly what Georgia's going through right now. American Airlines, the MLB, Coca-Cola, Will Smith's, his production house, and so many other outlets, right? They're, they're just up and leaving Georgia, having a tip of tantrum um, because Georgia put voting laws in place to prevent the fraud that we saw in the 2020 national election that gave Joe Biden, Georgia, and so many other states. And now people are acting like Georgia is in the wrong. As if it was their fault that the election seemed to be fraudulent. I mean, did you know that in 2016 and 2018, mail-in ballots had a failure rate of 1.4%. A failure rate of 1.4% for whatever reason. Signatures, uh, unclear voting, whatever, right? They had a failure rate of 1.4%. That was a tolerance on the machines that just flatly rejected votes when they examined them. But in 2020, in the November election, the sensitivity calibration on these voting machines was lowered throughout the country, in particular in places like Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Georgia. And although it, it, it through that, and even though Georgia, and even though in 2020 saw more mail-in ballots than ever, we only saw a 0.6 failure rate of those ballots. More people voted mail-in, half of the failure rate. So if the sensitivity threshold would have been kept at the same at the same rate in previous years, Donald Trump would still be president today. If Ronald Reagan didn't give amnesty to nearly what 3 million um, people had, uh, were undocumented in this country, California is still a red state today. And it doesn't have one of the highest priority rates in America. So when we see things like mail-in ballot expansion, no verification of those votes, voting machine tolerance lowered, the importation of people in this country who they expect to vote Democrat or their children to vote Democrat in 18 years um, or, or be given amnesty to vote Democrat. There is a reason why Catholics should be concerned because it means that your duty to fulfill the fourth commandment, love neighbor and promote justice and a common good as being put in jeopardy because uh, one means that this country has given us to exercise that duty is being taken away. Once we get to the point where elections are being predetermined, regardless of your vote, then trying to orient society to Christ through the ballot booth is no longer a sustainable effort. And that is a dangerous outcome for at least constitutional governments. So for Catholics, this isn't uh, this isn't a, a party issue. I think both Democrats and Republicans largely are, are very interested or we say more interested in power and maintaining power than anything else. I mean, Democrats, they want more people to vote. It, it doesn't really matter who votes, right? They want dead people to vote, non-citizens to vote, uh, you know, anyone, right? They want lower the voting age. They just want anyone to vote, vote in multiple states. They don't care. They just want the ballots. Because it really they because they really don't care about people. We know that we see that they just care about power, and they believe that the more people will vote, the more likely they will stay in power. Right? They use people for their vote so that they can maintain maintain power. That's it. Then Republicans who also desire power and control, I think they have legitimate fear in how the Democrats have decided to win elections and completely change demographics in this country. The Republicans look at how the Democrats turn California, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona blue. And they rightly fear that happening to Texas and Florida. Now they see how Californians and New Yorkers have New Yorkers have left their states and um, that after those states became homeless shelters and how those people are now changing the demographics in the places they move to Idaho, Colorado, Texas, Nevada, Arizona. And they fear that. So their motivation to restrict and limit voting and prevent immigration 
is all about their ability to maintain power, win elections. But it's fair, a reasonable concern. And again, I think it's a concern that Catholics should share. Because once your vote doesn't matter, either because elections are predetermined or through fraud or demographics, our ability to fulfill the fourth commandment to exercise dominion over the earth and to love our neighbor through the mechanism of voting is going to hurt bad. Now, now, now that being said, that being said, we should say this about voting and the fulfillment of the command, right? That voting is not the only way that we've been called to bring the peace of Christ on earth. Again, for most of the history of the Catholic church, it wasn't through voting. And in many countries in the world today, it isn't through voting. Right? They don't even have that right in a lot of places. So it's not voting. It's not this God given right. Right. In fact, the idea that we can rely on voting to orient the world to Christ, I think has made us lazy in a lot of ways. Right. We think, well, I just show up to vote, right? We read our little voting guides that the church has given us. And this is what um, Jose Bonilla is saying in, in the comment box on YouTube, right? Um, oftentimes, you know, we have there our choices in this little two-party system that we have. Sometimes there are two uh, people that as Catholics, perhaps we should not be voting for. Again, if we go back to what Pope Pius um, the eleven um, said, right? He said that thus a Catholic will take care not to pass over his right to vote when a good or the church or the country requires it. Right. So that's a good standard. So oftentimes we have these people who, ah, if we vote for them, it, it may not be good for the church at all. I mean, definitely know when by voting for Democrats or harms the church, they persecute the Catholic church and what we believe. So we definitely shouldn't, uh, um, you know, we should definitely be careful to exercise our vote in the right way, not vote for, and, and again, the voting guys, they tell us how to vote, you know, don't vote for intrinsic evils, you know, this and that, um, uh, at, at some particular points in, in history, again, during, at least in Italy, when they saw the birth of communism coming, um, we had popes that said, you shouldn't vote for this party, right? So the church used to be clear at times who, even who not to vote for, if it was going to harm the Catholic church, right? So we're definitely self-interested people. We want to protect Christ and his church. So we don't vote for people who harm the church. But again, this idea that, that, that voting is the only way to do that, I think has really made us lazy people. It's really made us lazy people. And I think perhaps if Texas were to turn blue and, you know, we can never win another federal election. If the left, if the electoral map remains as the voting machines made it in 2020, then that might turn out to be a blessing in some ways, because I think it will force us to engage with society um, through ideas and evangeliz uh, evangelization more, more forcefully and not rely on ballots alone um, to change society. All right. Because again, ballots may or may not be counted. So yes, when we see things going on in Georgia with uh, voting restrictions and uh, the, the Catholic understanding of, of that in our, in our, in how we understand how we should be voting. And we look on that one, we say, yes, we think that the people in Georgia, uh, we look at those laws. We don't see injustice there in a sense, right? Justice is rendering each person their due. And as long as people are giving the opportunity to vote, um, that they have opportunity to participate and bring in the common good, uh, participate in bringing the peace of Christ on earth through the voting booth, then we don't see how that is an offense against justice, right? Um, also, when we, uh, you know, and I hate to look, and we're not going to look at, you know, every you know, use Georgia as, as the example, but we see throughout society in many states that there's uh, interested, uh, interested parties, right, and that have uh, started using voting laws to either expand voting or restrict it. 
And that's it, either span voting or restricted. So again, the, the Catholic sense of this issue is that our duty is to participate in the common good. One of those mechanisms that we do to do that is voting. And voting should in a, a, a constitutional government that says that's how people have been given to participate in society. As long as that is an option and it's available, it should be there. But also we have to be cautious and we should be um, concerned when we see that there is also uh, interested parties in place that want to expand voting in such a way and to disenfranchise people in such a way through the expansion of voting that it makes our vote meaningless and um, not mean anything at all. So this is the David O'Grace show on Voicing Truth from Reason on Guadalupe Radio Network. And so right after um, the, this short break, we'll be speaking with, again with Carrie Beckman, who will be on talking about a new Catholic community being built in Tyler, Texas. Again, this is the David O'Grace show, Voicing Truth and Reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join the University of Dallas for its first JP2 conference, America, Liberalism, and Catholicism, this Thursday and Friday, April 15th and 16th, moderated by Dr. Ryan Anderson, UD's John Paul II's Teaching Fellow in Catholic Social Thought. This conference features keynote addresses from some of today's foremost Catholic thinkers, including Patrick Deneen of the University of Notre Dame and Ross Douthat of the New York Times, along with distinguished UD faculty in politics and philosophy. Learn more at udallas.edu. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. This is Lynn Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network, with this week's GRN Family Minute. We hope you and your family had a very blessed Easter week. This is another special week in our Holy Catholic Church. It is Divine Mercy Week. St. John Paul II described Divine Mercy as the answer to the world's problems and the central message of the third millennium. The theme of Divine Mercy was undoubtedly one of the greatest spiritual legacies of his life and pontificate. He saw the great need for souls, yours and mine, to come to know the immensity and greatness of God's mercy. Repeatedly, he wrote and spoke about the need for us to turn to the mercy of God as the answer to the specific problems of our times. Please know that each workday, the GRN staff comes together via conference call at 3 p.m., the hour of divine mercy, to pray the chaplet for your needs and prayer intentions. May God bless you and your families. Welcome back in to Voicing Truth and Reason, the David O'Grace Show on Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, please call in 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. So I'm excited to share with you an awesome guest that we have in the studio today. We're speaking with Carrie Beckman. Um, she's going to talk about a Catholic community being built in, in Tyler, Texas. And also she's talking about her Catholic family conference. How's it going, Ms. Beckman? How's it going? Going great. Happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, before we get well, started, let me give out here. the your, uh, the websites. Um, Splendor, that's S-P-L-E-N-D-O-R-H-Q.com and CatholicFamilyConference.com. So let's talk about um, the conference first. What's going on on May 1st? So on May 1st, we are hosting in the DFW area a Catholic Family Conference in person and virtual. So last year we were only virtual, obviously, because of COVID. But this year we are doing a small number of tickets. So Texans, get your tickets fast. They're going to go fast. We are going to have Cardinal Pell, Bishop Strickland, Ralph Martin, 
Steve Ray, Trent Horn, just to name a few. It's going to be a great day with incredibly inspiring speakers, just really getting us back to the focus of family and really kind of engaging us around St. Joseph, this year of St. Joseph, and mm. building our domestic churches. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about that because I saw your 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 lineup of guests, and I was, and um, and I shared it on my. My, uh, my my Facebook page and, and I thought it was funny because you're I think I saw one of the advertisements um, for the, the conference and it said a, a dynamic lineup of speakers and I was thinking how can we never say anything like oh we're going to have uh, uh, um, some some horrible speakers right it's always a, a, a dynamic <laughs> right. right you know <laughs> right well uh, you know we're going to have some speakers guys, who are just guys. untrustworthy Right, 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 right. That have nothing to say. They're just going to talk, talk, talk. Right. Now, these guys actually have a lot to say, so we're really excited to have them. Yeah, I'm excited, too. So this is going to be your, your second conference. Last, the one last year was virtual, and this one is going to be live. Of a, um, uh, you, so you're going to have tickets there. You're going to have some some um, some opportunities for people to come see. And I think that's so great that live conferences are coming back because – I, th- I think during COVID, during the shutdowns, I think it was great. A lot of people did transition to these online conferences. A lot of good things were said. A lot of people grew in their faith. But just to be able to come together again in community and fellowship with one another and grow and meet people, I think it's a tremendous blessing. I'm so glad they're coming back. Yes. Well, it's important, you know, that we're in person. That's the way God intended the design to be, is that two or more gathered in His name, He is there with you. And so we invite everybody to come together in in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and just really feel that Holy Spirit among us. It's important that we stay unified. You know, I think one of the problems with COVID is it was the great divider. Divided us, we're covering Mm. our faces, we can't see each other. You know, we need to see each other. We need to experience Christ in one another. And I, I'm excited about this opportunity. I think it's going to be a great, great, great Saturday. Yeah. And I know a lot of the our audience may have seen you on EWTN. Um, I know so talking about your, um, your, your homeschooling. Um, but for those who have not met you, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I always like to say that um, my greatest gift is that I made a lot of mistakes and I'm able to help others not make the same mistakes that I made. And what I mean by that is, so you probably are familiar with our academies, especially in your listening area. We have many, um, we have about 16 in operation, soon to be 20, and so it's their hybrid classical model, university-style learning in the Catholic tradition. And basically, homeschoolers come to us two days a week, and then they homeschool three days a week under our direction, our lesson plans, and a fully accredited curriculum. And what this does is it allows the parents to have real support. When I first started homeschooling now some 21 and a half years ago, there really wasn't a lot of support available. There was a couple of books that we could read, and they're awesome, amazing women who I love, Laura Berkwith, Kimberly Hahn, Mary Kay Clark, just incredible women who are, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of pioneers to us. But there wasn't um, support in that coming together unified way. And um, and so the academy was built really out of a need that I saw as a homeschooler way back when that I felt isolated. Um, I wasn't able to keep up with everything and have my eight children. It just wasn't possible. So this was a way, this two-day-a-week model was a way for me to stay the primary educator of my child, mm. allowing the family to be the primary influence, which I think is even more essential today than it was 21 years ago, for sure. And still get the support I need from a spiritual standpoint, a physical standpoint, and an educational standpoint. And so, obviously, that need and the failures that I had and the mistakes I made, God used to help many, many other hundreds and thousands of students. So, it's a real blessing. And um, so, that's been my life for the last 18 years, having eight children and Regina Chaley Academy. And then, as you know, recently... um, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, just another step 
in a more intentional way to live out this community and this unity um, through Veritatis Splendor, which will be our first university that we are founding. Um, very excited about that in East Texas in the Tyler Diocese. And, yeah. and then as a part of that, we're going to have several institutes that will be teaching institutes and forming institutes um, for the culture. And those are the hopefully the cooperative professors will have for our students in the university. We're going to build a beautiful oratory. And of course, there will be a neighborhood, which many, many people are excited mm. about. We're really surprised at the incredible desire that um, intentional Catholics have to live in community. Guess we shouldn't be so surprised because we did that that's how we did it for, you know, hundreds of years. It's just recently that we don't actually live in Catholic neighborhoods or Jewish neighborhoods or, you know, Polish neighborhoods. I mean, that's really um, kind of organically how America yeah. began and certainly how Europe existed. And so there's a real desire now, you know, we're under attack. You don't feel like, you know, in homeowners associations, sometimes you can't put statues out in front of your yard of the Blessed hmm. Mary Virgin or, you know, even um, flying the the Vatican flag. I know in some of my friends' um, situations, they've been told they have to take that down. So just to have a place where you are free to live out your Catholic faith day in and day out um, and express it, you know, in a beautiful way together as a neighborhood is just very exciting. Yeah, I am so excited about what you're doing. Again, if you're listening, uh, when um, we first began, we're talking about the Catholic Conference. You can find out more there at Catholic Conference. CatholicFamilyConference.com that begins on, on May 1st with a awesome group of, of speakers so make sure you visit the website find out if it, it fits for you and also now we're talking about Veritata Splendor which is going to be a Catholic community which is man, so exciting this is David O. Gray show voicing truth and reason on Guadalupe Ray Network speaking with Carrie Beckman and and so the website for the Catholic Community Place you can find go and find out more is splendorhq.com. And so, Carrie, I was speaking with one of my my friends about this. You know, I'm I'm a, a huge optimist, right? And I was so excited when you know I saw this, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! That's a, a place that I would live, right?" Because what I like about it the most is that, as you said, if you, you know if you travel around the world, especially go to some of the uh, um, still communities that are still communities. Uh, there's a lot of places in South and Central America. You, you'll notice that there and other places in parts of the world is that one of the first things that you see when you go into that, that neighborhood is that you see a Catholic church and a Catholic church always tends to be somewhere at the center of that community. And then businesses and houses built around it. You see a Catholic school again with houses and, and close proximity. And so the, the church in a lot of communities, what is the centerpiece? And that's how people center their life around the Catholic church and the Catholic school. And that's also what I see in your community. So it is that just that ancient construct that we see in a lot of places. So, uh, but I was talking to one of my, my, my friends and uh, of course, you know, she, she's someone who works on, you know, the parish council, right? And so, she, you know, right before we had this conversation about your, your community or the community that you're, you're helping to develop, uh, you know, she's talking about someone who's buggered on the parish council. And she's like, oh, I could not imagine if such and such had lived next to me. So how do you, so how, what, what have you thought, is, is that something that even crosses your mind about when you're forming your the rules for this community, what's, what would prevent people from getting, I don't know, too judgmental or persnickety about their neighbor? Is that, is that something that even crosses, she even crosses people's mind? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because of course every, I mean, I think about that, sure. But then I think about, okay, what situation <laughs> am I in right now? I mean, anything is a step up for mm. most of us. We're all being mm. judged. I mean, uh, <laughs> unless you have incredible just a blessed situation. Most intentional Catholics are the, are pretty much the only one on the street with the eight kids. You're pretty much the only one in the street that mm. the kids have the bikes in the front yard and they leave them. And then you get your right. little note, you know, in your mailbox or you get your <laughs> fine because, you know, there's too many shoes out on your front porch. You know, I, I mean, this is just what it is now. And so, so yeah, I mean, it's certainly a concern 
that, you know, you might have a particular judgmental, you know, holier than thou kind of situation with a neighbor, but <laughs> doggone, you know, that's, that's a better problem than the one where it's, you know, you've got, you're literally living around, unfortunately, non-believers and they're taking shots mm. at every, every aspect of your life that's Christ-centered. And so, I mean, yeah. here's the deal, right? When you live in community, there has to be a sense of charity. And we are really hoping and praying that that happens. Now, does that mean that things aren't going to be, you know, an issue? Of course, they're gonna, there's going to be issues because we all have original sin. But I, I do think, again, going back to the, like, just stop for a second and think about where you live. And think about, wow, the worst problem might be that I get, you know, a, kind of a holier-than-thou, very judgmental Catholic to my right. Okay. <laughs> I might be able to deal with that. Right. Now, what about um, – um, I saw some people on Twitter were talking about, you know, um, you know, the Twitter isn't really a good place to get in great, intelligent, coherent conversation, right? And so – but someone <laughs> has <laughs> someone has shared a tweet – <laughs> right, and I think it's, it rep- I think Twitter in a lot of ways represents the worst of us. So that's what oh. you get. But it, it, it's so, and someone had shared something about your community there, and someone had. I want you to respond to this: the idea that Catholics coalescing together in a community somehow diminishes our opportunity to change the world outside of that community. Respond to that. So, I mean, yeah, that is definitely something that I think is very interesting to think about. Now, if we were building a compound where we were all going to just stay in there and, you know, groceries would be delivered and our children wouldn't go to any, you know, ballet classes or piano lessons or, you know, anything like that, we wouldn't play on any sports teams and we wouldn't certainly join any kind of, you know, extra community activities or go to the theater or anything like that, they might have a leg to stand on. But what you're talking hmm. about is is a neighborhood. You're not talking about a commune. And I think it's very, I think it's actually the opposite that's going to happen. Because, for example, because it's going to be a Catholic neighborhood, we're going to live out the Catholic faith to its fullest. So, you know what? You're going to pull in our neighborhood and you're going to see a Eucharistic procession. And you're going to see hmm. from afar a big, wow. giant, huge bonfire on the Feast of John the Baptist, because that's the Catholic wow. tradition. You go to the highest part of, you know, of the valley or whatever, and hilly, beautiful East Texas, and we're going to do a big, giant bonfire. And you know what? We're going to invite people to come and, and discover that with us and enjoy that with us and learn from that. So, you know, we're inviting, we're inviting them in. We're not shutting them out. And I think that that's a really key difference in some of these yeah. again you know it's it's interesting because somebody had responded to that thread and said wait hang on so what you're telling me then it's a really horrible idea for catholics to live in community together i think we saved western civilization over and over again doing this <laughs> yeah i mean that's yeah that, that's that's absolutely yeah. true <laughs> yeah yeah that's definitely true <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that some sort of cult is going to be formed, some sort of commune that people are going to be drinking a Kool-Aid, I don't think that's that's really what's realistic about what I see happening here in this community. And I, and I love the fact that right now you have um, the bishop, and I'm forgetting his name right now. What's the bishop's name there, there in Tyler, Texas? Bishop Strickland. Bishop Strickland. Yeah, wonderful bishop. Um, and we pray that, you know, his successor, you know, cause we're going to need continued successors that continue to support this community. Um, but once, but you know, it takes money to do this, right? What's the cost involved? Well, I mean, there's several kind of aspects to it. Um, you know, obviously the land was a cost and then the infrastructure going in utilities, all of that um, so that we can subdivide the land and, and build the neighborhood is a cost. And then building the neighborhood or the oratory is a cost. Um, and then the priests that are coming to live in community, which they're coming very soon. And there's many, many who want to do this. That's a cost to pay for the priest. So there are many costs, but again, the beautiful thing is that you, you might have these detractors out there, you know, in the, you know, forgive me, but the cesspool of Twitter 
However, <laughs> we have had over 1,500 people say that they're interested in buying lots and we're maybe going to have 65 in phase one. Wow. Wow. And we've had over wow. 2,500 people just send us emails of support and how excited they are. And they hope this isn't just one and done that maybe we'll, you know, build these Veritatis Splendor communities all over the country, which is exciting to think about. I mean, you know, with God, anything's possible. And I, I'll ride that wave with him if he makes it possible, because I think that this is going to be a great thing for kids to be able to have your kid go down to the fishing pier and fish while you're at home making dinner and knowing that it's highly likely that he's down there fishing with another Catholic person who's going to be talking about mm. good, true, and beautiful things. Yeah, I'm all about it. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that, that's, that's so important because the children that would be raised in these type of communities, I mean, they eventually have to leave the community. And you know, some of them will go engage in the world, maybe at a secular university. But to be formed in a community like this, um, not not just education, but family and, and, and friends, just a whole complete formation throughout their throughout their childhood and their very important formative formative years, is is man a tremendous opportunity that I think we have to reshape and reorient the world to Christ because it's it's sort of like you know the liturgy itself you know we just don't stay at the liturgy right and at the end we're dismissed and we're supposed to take out of the liturgy what we have received in it, right? Namely Christ Jesus and to reorient the world, how the church itself is oriented. And as communities like these, I think really built in that idea of the liturgy of forming ourselves in this community and then going out, so not keeping it to ourselves, but sharing what we receive in this community and, and, and going back out. All right. And being able to be strengthened, you know, that's the other thing too. It, it's funny again, people's perception because, Whenever we're, we're building something to really affect change, there's, there's a training part of that, right? And there's a unity part of it. So, you know, when mm -hmm. soldiers go to boot camp, they literally live together, eat together, sleep together, you know, all of it, right? And they learn right. how to be a soldier and they learn how to battle. And they do it by stripping away everything else as a distraction. Now, they're not forming a commune. They're becoming soldiers, and then they're going to take it out. They're going to take it out and protect our country. And so hopefully, you know, as people are raised in these neighborhoods, then, yeah, they're going to take it out. They're going to witness their, their work. I mean, again, they don't just stay there. They're going to witness when they're at the ballet studio, and they're going to witness when they're, you know, playing baseball on a baseball team. But you know what's great is that what will be normal is to have neighbors who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and yeah. Savior. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's going to just reshape conversations altogether. I was talking to um, another friend of mine, and she was telling me that when, when her daughter goes to school, I don't know if you noticed, but in some of these some of these schools, one of the first questions, kids, middle school, high school, they ask another kid, are you straight or are you gay? That's the first conversation. Oh, I right? know. I understand it, it, that. It's, it it's, so, is, it's, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, what gender so conversations. do you want? Yeah, what gender exactly. do you prefer? What, what, should, what pronouns? I mean, it's interesting. Couldn't get kids to talk about grammar for years, and now they're all talking about pronouns. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just had to throw that one out there. That, that's a good. That's a good point because I always struggle with those when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school. But I guess I wouldn't have that struggle now. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 hilarious. <laughs> and you know, another thing. Well, is, you gotta laugh. Uh, you know, if you don't laugh, you'll cry all the time. So. <laughs> yep. And I think another thing is, is, you know, what does great look like? You know, that's something that, you know, it, it, you know, corporations are something we, we always want to stress, you know, especially in, in sales, like I'm in, you know, we always want to, okay, what does great look like? And we oftentimes want to go study, you know, what's great and bring it back to our organization. And I think that's another thing that your community offers. Um, Veritata Splendor um, that we're that we're starting to see being formed in, in Tyler, Texas. And again, uh, speaking with um, Carrie Beckman here, um, and we're talking about her Catholic Family Conference, and we're talking about her the community that she's helping to form in Tyler, Texas. And more about that community, you go to SplendorHQ.com. And this is Voice in Truth and Reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. So yeah, I, I talk about so what does great look like, right? And I think what what an opportunity that people have when they come to this community that you're forming, 
I think it's, it's, it's going to be so different, right? And people are going to see what, what does a healthy family look like? And what is, what is having a good life look like? that they'll come to community and they'll see something completely different. They might be curious and maybe want to drive through and maybe just bump into a Eucharistic procession. And this is completely different than what we'll see, what they see in their own community. And in, in, in a sense, they might develop like a holy envy and they'll see, well, this is something really good that's going on here. This is something that I think should be imitated. And they'll realize something is missing in their life. Something is missing in their neighborhood. So it, it may not be this like a community on, on every block, but I think it has a potential, especially with people leaving the community and people being formed by visiting it, that they'll take it out to where they live. And there's going to be different types of imitation of it. What do you think about that? Oh, we, we're hoping. We're hoping that this is the first of many. And I, mm-hmm. you know, again, unfortunately, we do live in a pretty hostile, you know, environment towards Christianity, especially very public Christianity, right? Everybody wants us to keep our faith in the confines of our homes. And, you know, that's not safe. That's not, that's not taking it out to the world. And so having neighborhoods where you're free to really express what you believe and how you believe and putting the beauty of God around us. I, you know, we are, as Catholics, we are trained in a very human way that outside changes are a reflection of an interior change, right? So, mm-hmm. so we think about the sacraments, right? They're, out, they're outward signs of an interior change. And the way that we live, right? Putting beautiful imagery in our homes and, um, again, you know, beautiful garden statuaries of our favorite saints and and the Holy Family. These are real important things that we should be able to do, that we should encourage, and that we ought to see everywhere around us, not just at our own home, because, you know, that's very isolating, right? If I'm the only person doing something, it is isolating, and we have to understand kids do respond to that isolation. They start to doubt, they start to question, and what they need is reinforcement. That's what they need. And I got about 30 seconds left. Um, why Texas? I mean, I mean, why not Georgia where I think you, you know, you live. Um, but so why, why Texas? So are you best friends with Raymond Arroyo? He asked me the same question. Raymond and I have known each other for a long time. So he said, (laughs) why are you leaving Georgia where you're so connected and you have all these friends? You know, unfortunately part of doing this intentional community means that we need to be in a state where we're we're pretty darn sure that our religious liberty is going to be protected right now. Okay. And um, okay. there's not a lot of those. Even Georgia right now is having a lot of issues. So Texas is the spot. All right. So we speak with Carrie Beckman. You can find out more about her community at SplendorHQ.org. Thank you for coming on, Carrie Beckman. So this is Voicing Thank Truth you. and Reason. Dave O'Grace on Guadalupe Ray Network. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back next week, same time, same place. And I look forward to conversing with you then. In between time, you can visit me at online, David O'Grad Info. But until then, until next time, remember, Jesus loves you and is there for you. Live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you. Happy Easter.